This is a Village Soundcast Network original production. Welcome to Turning a New Leaf, where we discuss the changing face of Canada as it prepares to legalize and regulate recreational cannabis across the country. Turning a New Leaf is produced by the Village Soundcast Network, and I'm your host, Sean King. Enjoy. Welcome to today's show. Uh, and today's guest is Jordy Morgan, Vice President, Atlantic Canada for the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. Now, if Jordy Morgan's name sounds a little familiar, it might have something to do with the fact that he's been a broadcasting veteran of 35 years. Jordy's hosted the regional talk radio program, Maritime Morning for Rogers Medium. Uh, his career experience includes numerous radio and television roles for CBC throughout the 90s, political organizations, and working as the Director of Parliamentary Affairs for the Minister of Human Resources and Skills Development. This is heavy stuff. Well, it was hard to put on a card. <laughs> yeah. In, in Jordy's current role, he oversees all legislative activities and communications for the Atlantic region's four provinces. So this should be interesting. Uh, as well as all that, Jody uh, currently hosts the podcast Fall Back Up, featuring long-form interviews with business leaders, innovators, high performers from Atlantic Canada, which can be found on Stitcher, iTunes, Podbean, and his WordPress blog at jordymorgan.com. So I think we've covered that business. Thank you. Speaking of business. <laughs> <laughs> so first, I think I will admit that until uh, preparing to chat with you, mm-hmm. I wasn't that familiar with the Canadian Federation of Independent Business, and I don't want to assume that many will be. So tell us a bit about that. Well, um, we're Canada's largest business association. We have 110,000 members across the country. There's about 5,200 members here. We are completely membership-driven, so we don't take any government funding. Uh, All of our members are small and medium-sized businesses, so that runs anywhere from your mom-and-pop shop up to, you know, 500 employees or so, which is the definition of small and medium-sized enterprises, or SMEs, as they like to put it in writing. (laughs) And um, what our job is to do... Really, we do three things. We provide political advocacy for small and medium-sized businesses. Uh, We provide the regular sorts of things that you would get with any business association, whether it's, you know, better uh, rates on uh, credit cards, uh, on health plans, that kind of stuff. You know, things, payroll. So there's a lot of reasons there you can save money by being a member. I'm not going to do a full-on sales pitch to you. but (laughs) We can do it. uh, If you don't mind. (laughs) And then the third thing we do is we provide what we call business resource counseling. So it's like an HR department for a small business. So, for example, let's say these guys here with uh, the village. Yeah. Uh, if they uh, were a member, then they would be able to take access, have access to our business resource counselors who can guide them through things like CRA issues or employment issues. If right. you're hiring, firing, that kind of stuff. And it gives you uh, an opportunity to talk to somebody who has some experience in there. So that's kind of why people become members a lot. Right. The, the organization actually evolved out of a... Um, a tax fight back in the early 1970s. Uh, John Bullock, who was the founder, was reading this white paper on what they were going to do in terms of the new tax regime in Canada. And he looked at it, and essentially the proposal at that time was that they were going to tax all corporations at the 50% rate. So the idea was that they were going to really really reshift the way that the, the federal government took in money from business. 
So he read that. His family owned a little tailor shop in, in Toronto. So he was famously, I guess, reading this white paper in the bathtub, freaked out, uh, wrote a letter to the Toronto Telegram at the time. The groundswell of support was so immense that this tax revolt developed, and eventually these tax proposals were pushed to the side. So you might recall last year when Bill Morneau Mm-hmm. was bringing forward these tax proposals mm-hmm. yep. to change the way, you know, things like income splitting and passive income and whatnot. Yeah. We again freaked out, lit our hair on fire, said, look, these things are going to have a, a dramatic uh, unintended consequence for a lot of s- small business small, operators. Yeah. Yeah. And that, so that's kind of our DNA. And that's why we really worked hard to push back against those proposed changes. So that's what we do on a, fed, on a federal level, the national government. We have a, we have a team that, in Ottawa that works. We have teams in all of the provinces. And so I, my job is I'm responsible for Atlantic Canada, so I, I deal with Newfoundland, Labrador, New Brunswick, Prince Edward Island, and Nova Scotia. And then we have uh, individual directors of provincial affairs and policy sure. analysts and researchers and whatnot. So we look at what government is planning from a taxation and a regulatory point of view, mm-hmm. and we put it through a small business lens and we say, is this going to be good? Is this going to be bad? Do we push back against this stuff? Do we support this? When government brings in good policy, we cheerlead. When government brings in bad policy, we, well, we have varying levels of freaking out that we do. So, so, uh, you know, when when there's, for example, a a policy that's coming in, and it's not just provincial at the municipal level, we've been a lot more involved in uh, the municipal governments in terms of taxation, and and now more so on regulation because municipalities are beginning to see the benefits of looking at regulatory reform as something that will help small business and their citizens. Right. Wow. Wow. So that's what we do. So that's what you do. Yeah. Uh, unrelated, but I, I feel like I want to know, similar to the chamber, yeah? Kind of a uh, little different. The chamber has a different membership makeup, although yeah. we are aligned on a whole lot of stuff. I mean, I talk to Pat Sullivan yeah. all the time. Pat actually sits on this board with me, which is, it's called the Business Advisory Panel, yeah, which was yeah. formed. And I, I can get into some of this around the regulatory reform that Halifax is doing, which by the way, we are cheerleading and supporting yeah. and saying rah, rah, because <laughs> it's great. So I chair this panel and Pat sits on that and there's Luke Urjevic from Restaurants Canada and we've got, you know, somebody from the partnership, um, the Halifax partnership, that is, uh, people from regulatory affairs in the province. And we sit around and we look and say, okay, how do we deal with red tape in the municipality? Sure. Because I can tell you, uh, after amalgamation, there was this, there's been a real mishmash of land use bylaws. And as you know, there's things like the center plan that they talk about and whatnot that they're working on. So what we're doing is we're saying, let's take some best practices in red tape reduction, which is what we have a, a lot of familiarity with. Yeah. Let's bring a, bring to bear business opinions on that stuff and have a voice at the table when these decisions are being made. Ma- made, pardon me. So, have you guys had a meeting about cannabis yet? <laughs> <laughs> no, we have not. Something tells me you're going to. <laughs> well, here's here's the thing um, with cannabis. We have actually had, the way that we operate is that we don't sit and make public policy pronouncements. We actually right. go out to our membership and we survey all the time. Yeah. So so it's a highly democratic organization. We send out surveys. We have very high standard survey practices that we use and research practices. Yeah. And we go out and we get the opinions of our members 
And we then take those opinions back and say, okay, where are our folks on... Yeah, what's their stance? On cannabis, yeah. for, for, exa for example. Now, <clears throat> we, did, we did a survey a couple of years ago on this. And the problem is, is that I think that most people were in the same sort of boat that it seems everybody is. Because nobody knows what's going to happen. Nobody knows, yeah. And uh, there was, cons I think there, we, we asked, you know, do you want the government to sell it? Do you want the private sector to yeah. sell it? And the results were a little bit mixed. Yeah. So what we had to do is kind of back up a little bit and wait and see what governments were going to do. But we said, look, there are some principles that we feel that are important. And that is that the private sector should have a role in this. Everybody should have the opportunity to benefit from what is going to, or what seems to be becoming a very large economic driver. Mm -hmm. You know, is it the size of the fisheries? Maybe not, but it's it's pretty big. Yeah. You know, when you look at it from a national perspective. So how does the private sector benefit? Uh, a lot of times that we have seen evidence across the country when you have government monopolies handling things, they don't run all that efficiently. Right. Some t I should say it sometimes better than others, <laughs> yeah. but oftentimes we have seen governments not be the most efficient deliverers of uh, widgets, right. shall we say. Right. So uh, we've we've looked at this from the point of view of uh, alcohol. We've looked at the point of view of tobacco. When you look at it from the point of view of cannabis, it's difficult to say what's going to happen. We do have a national committee that's working on this, yeah. and we have to examine what they're doing in each of the jurisdictions across the country. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I'm, uh, I was listening to your podcast. What you do? You, there, there are so many different <laughs> threads that you can go yeah. off to. So I'm gonna I'm gonna let you guide me, and I'll stop talking for <laughs> well, a minute. Well, you know what? I'm glad you stopped there because what Good. I wanted to do was you're getting into this whole idea of independent businesses versus the government monopoly on how cannabis is retailed. Um, we all know the decision that's been made in most provinces at this point. Um, my guess is that when it was announced that it would be sold through the NSLC in Nova Scotia and not uh, a private sector industry yet, mm -hmm. um, what was your reaction to that? I'm, I'm going to be honest about this. I mean, normally I would say, well, it's terrible because it's a government, you know, no. Um, I think that what the, the approach that the government took here was very conservative. Yeah. And they wanted to really take some baby steps here. Yeah. Now, Newfoundland and Labrador has the same situation. Everybody's looking at doing this very carefully. Uh, they decided to go with a private sector model. And they actually had, uh, you know, private sector models for, for beer existing and wine. Already. And, and existing yeah, already. Existing right. already. So <laughs> they perhaps were a little bit more open to it. But, um, so I understand why it was done. My concern is, is this going to be the approach forever and ever, amen? Forever and ever, yeah. Because it's interesting about governments that once they get revenue streams developed and once bureaucracies begin to build, yeah. dismantling those are very difficult. Yeah. And that was where my concern is. Mm -hmm. I, I think that, you know, Nova Scotia Liquor Corporation is, um, by all accounts, a pretty well-run corporation. They have a lot of people with expertise in marketing. They have uh, a great deal of competency in terms of their distribution and all of that stuff. Yeah. Where I have some problems with this is that, and I'm going to pull back a little bit, because... When you look at the region, if you start thinking about it from a regional perspective, mm -hmm. you know, why do we have four separate liquor 
oh, um, yeah. Yeah. organizations. <laughs> yeah. Why do we have four separate sets of regulations? You know, um, I was listening today, as a matter of fact, to, to the head of the Craft Brewers Association, still fighting over four sets of regulations yeah. that are not equitably being applied. So there's been a lot of talk about regional harmonization or alignment from a regulation point of view mm-hmm. in order to make bi- doing business s- smoother. But here we have an entirely new regulatory regime being created yeah. with infrastructure and everything else around it. And they have four separate approaches in four provinces yeah. with a population that's the size of <laughs> yeah. downtown Toronto. And it's just like, why, people, can you not yeah. get out of your own way? Okay, if you're going to do the wrong thing, at least do the wrong thing altogether. Well, but, so that's but that's what I was going to jump in on because because I think there was and I'm a being time, facetious there. So of course, you know. but I think there was a time where I thought the same thing, where it was like, now, I mean, alcohol aside, because I still find right. that a bit weird. But but I think uh, it, in the early days, I thought, why why don't we just have one system? It's kind of right. ridiculous. But now, my thinking has shifted a little bit. Only because nobody really knows, right? Like we're all going to try some things and each province is going to try something a little bit different. I'm starting to think that maybe that's good. So for example, somebody gets it right. Let's pretend it's Nova Scotia. <laughs> it's like somebody, I'll give them that. Somebody sure. gets it right. Somebody gets it wrong. You learn from each other. Someone else does something else that works. And eventually maybe we all become a little bit more similar. Um, but I'm starting to lean on the side of Testing? Yeah, I guess that's the word for it. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, let's try some things and see what happens. I mean, look, I my understanding is that the infrastructure that exists in, in various provinces, whether that's like Newfoundland, which has a, a private model, or, or Nova Scotia that doesn't, is because that's the infrastructure that already existed. Yeah. So nobody is really, you know, jumping to put a bunch of money into new infrastructure. Although... I did just see the new cannabis stores in uh, in New Brunswick uh, last weekend, and they spent and, some money on those. That's pretty crazy. Yeah, like it's a separate building with cannabis written on the front. Yep, <laughs> it's, it's kind of nuts to see that. Um, let's hope they got it right because that's expensive to undo. You know. Well, this is the thing, and you know, I know that there's sort of a rush that was an imperative that was, you know, it was, this was foisted on the provinces by the federal government, right? right? Yeah. For political reasons. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I mean, we can talk about all of the sociological and cultural advantages to taking this move or disadvantages, but let's just set all of those aside. It was a political decision that was made. It was a promise that was made in a political election or an election yeah. campaign yeah. emerging from a political mm-hmm. uh, uh, organizational meeting that happened where they decided on this policy and they right. said, we're going to go forward. And here we are. Here we are. <laughs> So the, the so the provinces have had this sort of dumped in their lap, and they say, okay, well, how do we how do we deal with this? Yeah. So you know, I have some empathy for having a great big regulatory regime dumped on you, and then trying to sort it out. Yeah. So they did a consultation. I found that the consultation was okay. Yeah. It was. It had a fairly narrow focus. I think there was a lot of things they missed. Well, yeah, because you, you only get the answers to the questions you ask, right? Well, that's right. I mean, there, mm-hmm. there's a whole raft of occupational health and safety stuff that just seems yeah. they're saying okay well we'll deal with it the same way we deal with alcohol yeah oh uh, really yeah there's an it's an entirely different ball of yeah string that you've got to unravel there because people use these this product differently they're, they're going to use alcohol you know somebody who comes in and downs you know uh, uh, a mickey of vodka before they go to work it's going to be fairly obvious that right you know they've done that 
somebody who is, you know, doing two or three gummy bears and going into work some heavy machinery, you might not be quite so aware mm -hmm. of that. So there's a whole bunch of things from an occupational health and safety point of view that I think business owners needed to understand as well. Yeah. And I'm not sure that they've done a really good job communicating that stuff. Yeah. All of the people that you've been talking to, you know, at the NSLC and the municipal councillors and all those, they all understand that there's there's a lot of gray here that that, that right. hasn't been sorted out yet. So yeah. I think that we all have to work through this together. Yes. Our job is to kind of say, look, my job as being representative of small and medium-sized business is to say, okay, where are our folks in this? And why are we not being given an opportunity to participate in a way that makes sense? Right. I think, and I'm just saying this because I think, and I haven't been told otherwise, but my suspicion is that when the edibles come along, yep. is that the model that is currently being used in Nova Scotia, that they may say, well... Maybe what we should do is look at the private sector in, yeah. the, in that regard. I think I don't know. I, I suspect that it'll eventually change too. I don't know if that'll be driven by <clears throat> excuse me by edibles or not. I, I think that look. I, I I actually agree with you. I I think that there's a lot of tiptoeing going on, and and you know, in the conversations I've been having. It's pretty intentional. At least that's the sense I get. You know, like let's. Well, let's nobody wants to step in it, right? Let let's tread carefully and and kind of loosen the reins as 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 we go. I mean, there's been a lot of talk about at what point do we think the private sector will have a place in this? I don't know when that is. I imagine it. Let's take the alcohol industry. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's been a long time. You know, in Nova Scotia, like, I don't know how long it actually took for them to allow the craft breweries and allow the distribution of alcohol in other, in other ways, but I think it took a long time. Well, it did. And I think that the agency stores was kind of the entree into the saying, okay, right. let's put the beer and wine in the corner stores and how do we deal with that yeah. sort of desire? It's, it's driven by the, you know, remember we do live in a democracy and I think, you know, the public does have a voice in this. Right. There are, there were parts of Nova Scotia that were dry up until this year. Right. And they had to change actually. No, yeah, absolutely. There were communities that they actually had to Come make. On. No, I'm serious. <laughs> uh, so, so mm. the, there were, this is, you know, a vestigial hangover, pardon the pun, from sort yeah. of prohibition era, as are a lot of our liquor laws that, mm. that we have now. There's this, there's this desire, I guess it is, uh, you know, in, in our particular culture to just put the binders on. We're still pretty conservative, you yeah. know, and, and say, let's just not, not let people freak out. And then you've got, you know, an entirely new agenda, which is coming into place because of the healthcare system, right. which is saying, don't, you know, we've got, you know, Dr. Robert Strang, God yeah. bless him, yeah. but you know, he's concerned about everybody's health, but sure. he's saying, okay, you know, we've got to put the binders on alcohol. We've got to put the binders on cannabis. We've got to put the binders on all this. So, so that balancing act has to happen. Yeah. I mean, there are some who, who would argue in a, in a confusing sense, I suppose <laughs> that, that, wow, it's weird. We're legalizing this whole thing yet. We're, we're making it very difficult to consume. Right. I'm not sure what I think of that, but I, I, I mean, I guess, I mean, c the consumption of the product to me is going to be less of the issue because I, let's, people are already consuming the product. Yeah. I mean, I mean we regulate that or not, it's happening. Yeah. Um, I sometimes feel like we're losing the plot a little bit, you know, you know, <laughs> like, like you are about to be able to go into a store and buy marijuana. Mm-hmm. You know, one of 70 different kinds and probably in a bunch of different formats. That's about to happen. 
but we're getting our shit in a knot over like <laughs> what store I have to go to. Like, really? Well, this, I, and you're making my point for me because yeah. a lot of times um, I think regulators, and, and I'm using that term for government, mm -hmm. regulators say, okay, this, either this thing has happened or we think this thing is going to happen. So we need to create a framework to mm. eliminate as many possible problems that could emanate from this thing happening before we know before we know what's <laughs> going to happen. Yeah. And uh, and I want I want to walk back a little bit here cuz this is something that I want to show you something I'm kind of proud of. <laughs> here and is this what, your letter to the mayor? No, this is not the letter to the mayor. <laughs> this is this is actually um uh, something called the governing principles uh, for regulation in Nova Scotia, the Premier's Charter of Governing Principles and Regulation. We have our fingerprints are all over this stuff. Yeah. But what it does is it was a document that was adopted by the Liberal government here. And what we had asked them to do was to provide a fundamental statement of intent on what regulation was about. And I'm going to, I, do you mind if I read some of no, this? No, go ahead. Okay. If it's boring, I'll stop you. Okay. <laughs> it says the fundamental... And okay, let me do the caveat here. Is yeah. that everybody talks about taxation, what government takes out of your wallet and all that sort of stuff. But, yeah. the, but you're, you are guided through your life every day by regulation. Sure. Every stop sign, the height of your curb, the steps that you have in your yeah. house, the temperature of the water that comes through. All Everything is like we are regulated. It yeah. is the purpose of government in order to have... Um, a, a, a society that operates efficiently and effectively and, reason, yeah. and reasonably safety. It's starting to depress me now. I know it is, but it is, <laughs> but it's true. Yeah, no, I, I mean, we, take the, the, the size of the glass of beer that you get, the, you know, whatever other vice you have is going to be regulated in one way or another in yeah. size, voltage, whatever it, it, it will be. So what we said to them is, what do you want to do? What is the what is the policy objective you have? So if you have a specific policy objective, then you should. This is how you're, the approach that you should take around regulation. And we've actually we're leading the country, I think, in some of the in in many ways. Nova Scotia. Nova is. Scotia yeah. is on this, and because a lot of governments are beginning to realize this, because we've been pushing for it. It's basically get rid of the red tape. You know, right. get rid of the stuff that is unnecessary <clears throat> and regulate regulate the stuff you have have to. But only when you have to. So I'll read this. It sure. says, the statement of fundamental intent on regulation. Sounds terribly boring. Sounds heavy. But it says, the government will regulate to achieve its policy objectives only having demonstrated that satisfactory outcomes can't be achieved by alternative self-regulatory mm -hmm. or non-regulatory approaches. So do we need a new smoking bylaw? Okay. Like, do we, do we need it or do, do we simply amend the one that we have? Do we tweak it? Do we need a whole new regulatory yeah, right. principle behind that? Or are there other alternative non-regulatory approaches that we should have? Now that's a municipal thing. So I don't want to sure. confuse the two. This is a provincial, but I will say that the municipal government just adopted this. Right. Yeah. Earlier we just talked this about year, that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay, so our analysis of the cost and benefits demonstrates that regulatory approach is superior by a clear margin to the alternative. That means that if you don't regulate, it's going to cost a whole lot more. Right. Where regulation of the enforcement framework can be implemented in a fashion that is proportionate, accountable, consistent, accessible, targeted, and predictable. That means that regulation should not be just done for regulation's sake, that you actually have a measure that you put in place and that is consistent with the developing and assessing regulation guidelines below. So, I mean... 
we were so thrilled that the government took this because it provides a framework. And when somebody wants to create a regulation that is either right. unnecessary or overly burdensome or red tapey, that they have to go through this and say, no, that's how no, we have, there's other ways that we can meet our policy objectives. Yeah. So all of that long-winded stuff up front, what we're trying to do is we're trying to say, if you are going to do some regulation, make sure that you answer some really specific questions about yeah. if it's going to meet your policy right. objective. And so this is why I wrote a letter to mayor saying, well, see, just go like, back and have a look at it's it. It's like you're fucking reading my mind here. I was, <laughs> I was just going to talk about that letter. Okay. So I, I had a chance to read that. You wrote that back in August. Uh, well, back in August. It's still August. No, I wrote this a couple of days ago. That's Yeah, right. Yeah, August yeah. 1st. Right, yeah. back in August. Uh, and so my understanding of the letter uh, is that you're, you're basically asking the city to find out if there are any real issues before adapting any new regulatory approaches. Is that correct? Yes. Essentially, what we're saying is take a look at the... Take a look at the administrative order that you passed that, pr that provides guidance on your regulation and make sure that what you're doing actually fits within that and the spirit of it. D do we need to apply another regulatory burden? Mm -hmm. And I say it's a burden simply because, not necessarily because it's going to cost me money, but I'll tell you what, that if you're getting a whole new bunch of inspectors or yeah, right. compliance officers yeah. and their office and framework... And all the money that that costs nine hundred thousand dollars, right? So, yeah. so if we're, that's that's what it's going to cost to make sure that you and I aren't out smoking a joint somewhere where we shouldn't be, <laughs> yeah. which is what, everywhere. Which is, <laughs> well, think about it for a minute. Yeah, that's been happening for the last exactly. thirty years, and I, I'm, I'm just yeah. saying, what do you expect if it is legalized? Yeah. If we do see people rolling around in the streets laughing, you know, f for a couple of months, I think there's going to be a problem. I don't think that's going to happen. Right. I, I, I'm not sure that we're going to see that. But I look, I understand. I, I do understand. And I think there's a lot of thoughtful people about it. You know, I yeah. listened to Sean and the other guests you had on here yeah. the other day. I think there's a lot of thought going into this, but I'm just yeah. saying back up a little bit and say, yeah. do we really need a regulatory approach yeah. or are there other alternative non-regulatory approaches? And from, from what I heard from Sean, yeah. which was heartening to me, was he's saying, yeah, we're going to do all this stuff, but most of the compliance officers are going to turn a blind eye. Or <laughs> yeah, so I know. Like, I know. It's, it's, a funny, it's a funny scenario, it's, right? Well, it, I tell I, you, it, did, did I hear it wrong? No. And when I when we talked about that, I remember saying to him, you know, how are you actually going to enforce these things? And I mean, there was a chuckle, you know, in in, in this room. And and I I think that you know they're in this weird position, which I I admittedly gained some empathy for, mm -hmm. uh, you know, after having the conversation. Oh, completely. Because as they said, you you know, I mean, their advice, whoever they're getting the advice from, was they have to be a little bit more. Um, stringent off the top and and loosen things up as you go because it's more difficult to go the other way. It is kind of a funny thing though. I mean, to think about, yeah, you can buy it and then you basically have to go home. <laughs> you know, like there's, there's really nowhere that you're technically allowed. But I mean, even they admit it, you know, like what, are you going to call an officer? By the time the officer gets there, you're gone. And what are we going to do? Like, so I think part of this has got to just be Let's adjust everybody's mental approach to this whole thing. Let's make sure it's not a, a free for all, which I don't know. I don't think it's going to be anyway. You know, I can't, I can't predict the future. I think they're there. This is a CYA thing. CYA. 
It's a cover your ass thing. Oh yeah, okay. Never so heard you, that before. No, so you look at you look at it from the point of view. They say if we don't do this, we're going to be criticized. Oh, of course. For allowing things just to go off the rails. But they and would be criticized be, either way. You know, people rolling on the hills at Citadel Hill yeah. High, yeah. listening to Grateful Dead music or whatever it is. I don't know. I mean, yeah. I, and I'm I'm being facetious, but I think they have they have to look at what's been done in other jurisdictions, sure. and they have to say, okay, we're going to apply, how are we going to apply that? Yeah. I guess my my message to the mayor when I wrote him was simply say, look, you adopted these principles around regulation. Yeah. There are certain things in there, including measuring the impact and cost of any of these regulatory things that you are putting into place. And what is are there going to be additional costs on business of any right. sort? I think that you you have a duty to consult with people before mm-hmm. you bring in new regulation. I'm not sure that the municipality has done a really strong job of consulting. I haven't been involved. Yeah. They haven't asked us anyway. Yeah. I'd be more than happy to go down there and talk as they wanted me to. You might which often this. Isn't yeah. not. <laughs> but but I think that the I think what there's that it, it, there's no need to for for knee jerk sort of reaction sure. on this stuff. Yeah. I, and Did you hear back from them? The mayor's office? On, well, it was only a couple of days ago. Oh, he's, yeah, right. It's going to take really, a lot longer than He's that. really good at getting back to us. And I mean, yeah. listen, we have a great relationship. I think the mayor has shown, and, and I'm not just blowing smoke here, he has shown great leadership on yeah. regulatory reform. Halifax is the first municipality in the country that's adopted these guiding principles on regulatory reform, which is really that. important. Yeah. We're actually using this as an organization. We have this thing called Red Tape Awareness Week that we do every yeah. week. We're using the Halifax example of regulatory reform as some, to hold up to other cities to say, do this because this is the right thing to do. Oh, wow. They have... They have direct lines of business communication with the advisory panel I was talking about earlier. They have a measurement tool to determine all this stuff. They have, I think, principles in place to help people navigate red tape. And I'm saying, okay, well, that's good. So let's just make sure that we adhere to this when you're bringing in whatever regulatory framework that you're bringing in. And and just a reminder that this is important because regulation builds on itself. It is not something that some, just kind of pops there. It's the cumulative effect of all of this stuff yeah, that right. just <clears throat> really creates confusion and whatnot. Let's change gears. Sure. Let's talk money. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so this is something I read just recently that in um, Aspen, Colorado, after only three years since they uh, legalized, that... Uh, Alcohol sales in that city, in Aspen, were $10.5 million. Uh, and last year, cannabis sales were 11.3. So after three years of legalization, cannabis sales have surpassed alcohol sales in Aspen, which I think is mostly a tourist town. Like, yeah. Um, so those are pretty big numbers. That's a pretty short time frame. Yeah. What do you think? You predict a similar kind of thing happening in this country? I think it's a different story. I think that Colorado, because of the nature of legalization in the United States, where it is one of only a few jurisdictions where it's happening, does, as you say, it gets a lot of tourist traffic. Yeah. Aspen, I hear, is a pretty good, good place to go skiing, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my, guess is, my guess is the folks that are going to Aspen probably are predisposed to that sort of behavior Perhaps, anyway. Yeah, I, yeah. I, you know, it's stereotyping, but yeah. hey, it's a real time saver. Yeah. But... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, but the I I think that it's a it's going to be a different situation here. I don't think 
in many ways, you can just simply take the Colorado experience and transpose it into what's going to be happening in Canada mm -hmm. because now we have this nationally. So somebody doesn't have to come to Halifax to or to Denver, you know, the, yeah, the right. sort of the Denver th model. Yeah. They don't have to come to any, you know, that place to, to open up their pot dispensary or yeah. sell it or smoke it that, you know, we're holus bolus here to, you know, yeah. Tofino. Yeah. Right? So... It, it, the, I think it's it's going to be a different experience. Yeah. Um, I and again, I can't crystal ball it. I would say that given the level of investment that we have seen by you know Canopy Organogram yeah. et al, that we are you know it's going to become a major industry. And when the edibles roll out, yeah, I think there, there's going to be an entirely new audience for this stuff sure. you yeah. know there's a lot of people who just don't like smoking pot yeah the idea of standing around smoking a spliff outside of a bar is not their grind so it'll they'll be looking at it from the point of view of saying all right maybe i can have a gummy bear or yeah use my inhaler or whatever i don't know vaporizer i i one theory on the aspen thing was that a lot of people when they go there uh because of the altitude uh, the Rocky Mountain High. <laughs> yeah, that? that's funny. I wasn't going to go there. But All there right, you go. sorry. Bam. Uh, I'm dating it myself. Had more to do with the um, people aren't drinking the first night or two, or drinking a lot less because of the change in altitude and the effects that that has. So they're they're smoking more when they first get there. I would uh, think that there's the other thing that I've and I've seen some documentaries on this. I haven't been to Colorado, yeah. and, and um, the delivery options that they have there are. There's a myriad of delivery options. Yeah. Like, I mean, there's the vape and the there's drinks and there's yeah. all kinds of different stuff. So I don't know, like, I, I haven't seen a breakdown of sure. how people are using it. Yeah. But I would, you know, as again, it's a vacation town and people go skiing and yeah. they, it, it, I think it's a pretty affluent area as well, yeah. by and large. So they yeah. got money, they've got time on their hands. And there's lots of pot around. <laughs> Seems like equals eleven equals eleven point five three million, whatever, <laughs> yeah, whatever it is. So the fa financial reports, financial <coughs> posts, sorry, reported that they predict legal rec cannabis sales will hit six point five billion in Canada by 2020. So two years from now, mm -hmm. six point five billion. In, for comparison, um, Canadians spent five point one billion on spirits. So just spirits in 2017. And seven billion was spent on wine in 2017. So they figure in about two years, the sales for cannabis are going to be as much as those. I'm going to guess it won't be long before it starts surpassing. I, well, I'm, I don't know. Um, it's a, it's going to be an experiential thing. Yeah. I mean, there, you know, when you're young, there's you know. I, Yes, I smoked pot in my in my early days. I'm not. I don't. I'm not a fan now. It's just yeah. not my thing. Yeah. Um, you know, I drink, but yeah. I, uh, I I just it's it's one of been one of those things that just uh, I I haven't uh, continued to uh, to enjoy. And I don't see myself kind of like I don't. I'm not going to go in and buy a, a bag of just because you can. Just because I can. Mm -hmm. That's interesting because I've heard people say, "Oh, when it when it's legal, I'll go. I'll sure I'll try again." You know, so that I, I imagine there's these groups of people that I'll call them relapsed users, you know, yeah. that, that maybe, maybe like you that did when they were younger. And now that it's legal again, well, maybe I'll dabble back in that space and see how that goes. Maybe there, there yeah. could, there could be that. I think that the other delivery options as well, uh, that people, you know, I've, 
you get the anecdotal story of the you know the people having the gummy bears right and then yeah. they do one and then it didn't work and then they do two. <laughs> yeah. they do a third Did one and then the all cops? of a sudden it works <laughs> like, like earlier this year was there two cops that, that ate gummy bears or ate brownies I can't remember what it was and then they had to call for backup Did you hear about this? <laughs> no <laughs> like they ate too much and were, they literally had to call for help well it's hilarious here's the other thing is it I th I don't think people understand a lot of the products that are out there and so and I mean, even I was listening to uh, the guy from the NSLC, like they're Damn, yeah. they have to educate people on how to use this stuff because the, the stuff uh, that's coming in is, you know, will be categorized, I guess, much more effectively. So you get a, yeah. an idea about what it exactly does to you. When you talk about the money thing, though, what I do want to get back to is if this is, if this is going to be sitting inside an, another government monopoly and that's it, yeah, I'm not entirely sure that that is appropriate. Um, you know, there's there is a role for the private sector in here. There is a role for small business operators to yeah. play in here. Yeah, the we we've seen if you go take the Colorado example, you know, there are private sector folks who are delivering this. And the argument about, well, you know, we have experience in controlled substances. Yeah, so does the private sector. Yeah, I mean, corner stores. You know, yeah. sell tobacco. Okay, it's a controlled substance. Yeah. Pharmacies sell a ton of controlled substances and dispense it. Right. You know, there are lots of people. The superstore sells controlled <laughs> substances. You know. Yeah. So it's it's like there's a there's a um, an expertise that can exist and there's training and there's opportunities. Yeah. So that this does not have to just become another government agency. Yeah. That has control over it because it is problematic when you look at the four. Alcohol uh, organizations or, or corporations in the Atlantic provinces. Everything that I shouldn't say everything that they done, but there is a there is an enormous amount of restriction because of the lack of cooperation between these corporations. Right. It costs between provinces. Between province, yeah. Well, between provinces and from a regional perspective, there have been efforts made to try and actually integrate these. So. There is some co-purchasing being done, not much though. Yeah. But I mean, there's a lot of efficiencies. But they, you've got the retailer and the regulator basically living in the same box. And I think the government has a role to regulate, but the private sector should be able to have a role to retail and to participate in the in the economy mm -hmm. and and to allow them, you know, allow the competitive marketplace, which is what we are, mm -hmm. to have an opportunity to participate in that. You put the regulations in place, people are compliant, make the regulations easy to comply with, make them clear. Yeah, right. And then I think businesses can take some of this over because remember, all of those new stores that we have, all of that stuff, that's all being paid for through your tax dollars, right? Right. When you, when you look at it, this yeah. is it's a it's a public corporation. They look at us as their you know, their shareholder. Right. Okay, great. That's, that's nice. <laughs> How language. do you really feel about that's that? That's nice language. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it, you know, it's fine. And I understand that's their, that's their communication line. But at the same time, you know, where the, where there is a government agency, there isn't a private sector uh, opportunity. Yeah. And that's kind of what we would like to see happen. Well, what about other opportunities in business? So the issue with small business, private sector business now is really in the sales of the plant. So yeah, you mean the producers? Yeah, right. Well, even the distributors, the retail experience. But what about all the other opportunities that could be on the peripheral? 
of this, whether that be, you know, people that might sell equipment or fertilizer or lights or well, here's the other here's or, the other thing that you know the the NSLC and, and I in New Brunswick it's I don't know if I should characterize it as worse, but in New Brunswick we're waiting to see you know what sort of penetration does the uh, public sector corporation have in selling you know, all of the paraphernalia, the bongs and the right. papers and all of the other stuff that right. people are going to be using, whatever the delivery tools that people use. And I don't know, there was probably stuff I haven't even seen before. But um, should the government be competing with people who are already established in those industries? I mean, there's already, you know, somebody you who mean has because a, they're going to be selling got, those things? Yeah, if you've got a little smoke shop that you've started yeah. up, you know, you've invested in it, you've done this. Yeah. There's tons of examples around... Uh, Nova Scotia and New Brunswick, not as many as there used to be. But they've invested in this and they say, okay, well, people want to buy papers and pipes and bongs and I don't know, is there other stuff? There must sure, be other stuff too. Probably lots of stuff, grinders yeah. and yeah. <laughs> all the other stuff that they have. Packaging. I've looked yeah. around in there. Yeah. So uh, if they've if they've mm-hmm. invested in doing that, is it right for the for the government to come in and compete against those people? Mm-hmm. Because they have enormous enormous amount more buying power yeah. you know they, they'll it's it, you know i don't know is walmart gonna sell that stuff i don't know yeah yeah i guess part of it's got to be a convenience thing you know if they're going to sell a product why not sell the accessories that go with it that's that's my take yeah but but uh, there's a question is walmart going to sell accessories yeah, i don't too? know i don't know there's another question we pretty answered. interesting to find out <laughs> so many questions man so many questions what about business opportunities i mean in your <coughs> world have you heard excuse me i mean have you have I'm wondering if there's some like crazy innovative business idea you've heard stem out of this stuff since it's since it all started. Well, it's interesting. There are lots of them. Uh, from our position as an organization, and I and you know as a political advocacy, we pretty much confine ourselves to the regulatory and taxation areas. You know, the uh, we do we did. It was interesting when all of this stuff was really beginning to roll, because of our effectiveness as a lobbying organization. There was a lot. There were a lot of cannabis small cannabis businesses that wanted us to represent them. But at that point, they're all illegal. So it's like... Oh, you can't do it. Well, no. <laughs> you know? I'm laughing. It's not like it's, it's funny. It's just blindingly no, obvious. It's just moment. blindingly obvious. Yeah. But, but you know, they're looking for it and they're saying, well, you know, can you lobby? And it's kind of like, well, no, we can't. Unless you're a legitimate, you know, business with a legitimate business license, that's not something that we can do. We are, if nothing else... You know, very supportive of ensuring that everybody is above board, accountable. Like we're not, we're, we we fight. We are actually on a committee that actually works to um, uh, find solutions to the you know black market yeah. type of stuff, right? Or yeah. gray market or underground economy, because the the people who we represent are people who are playing by the rules sure. and paying their taxes yeah. and following you know the rules. So that's an interesting thought, though. How are things going to change for you guys when when legalization is in place? Well, <laughs> I, I think that there are a lot of organizations that appreciate our lobbying power because yeah. we do we can lobby very effectively at the federal, provincial, municipal level. So whether they're going to see us as their you know business association of choice, uh, that that's up to them. Uh, they'll see whatever advantages you know they they can find. They'll make that decision themselves. Uh, if they do that, that we we have some questions that we have to answer. Uh, specifically, are we lobbying on a sector by sector basis, or are we basing our lobbying on sound principles that will benefit all 
small business operators, right? Across each province? Across, across the country oh, okay. and, right. and, and in each province. We have always taken the position that while, you know, sector-specific businesses are important, whether it be the fisheries or whatever, that our, our lobbying practices have uh, followed principles that say we want to represent the best interests of, of all small business operators, right? right? So it's a little bit higher level than getting down into the weeds, pardon sure. me, and the pun. Uh-huh. Sorry. <laughs> There's now, just too many puns not are to take. You guys, I know. Are you guys, well, here's one. Are you preparing for the rollout? Um, <laughs> See uh, what I did there? What, <laughs> what we're doing is we're trying to keep just track of, there's a lot of moving pieces mm-hmm. here, and we want to make sure that we're nudging those people who are in a position to make decisions on this stuff in a direction that is going to be for the benefit of small business owners. And that, because that's our job. I mean, you know, I, I don't represent the health authority. I don't represent right. the NSLC. I don't, right. repre- you know, I represent small business operators. And uh, my job, I think, is to be persistent with government and saying, look at, you know, our membership and understand that these are the people who are, you know, the majority producers for our economy. Yeah. These are the folks who are driving our economy as small business owners. Right. Because, you know, I mean, when you look at the, when you look at the numbers, we are, yeah. uh, you know, we, we employ most of the people in the, in the province. You know, we generate people come in, they invest their money, they take risks, they build businesses. That's what our mm-hmm. culture is built on. So can you help? So as I think through the idea that there are a lot of businesses right now that are probably getting ready for what's going to happen on October 17th, things are going to be legal. Mm-hmm. I know there are businesses talking about workplace policies around cannabis use. Yeah, that's uh, that's big. That's a big deal. A huge deal. Right? We're do we're we're doing training and webinars and all that. So that's stuff what I was going to ask. Yeah. So so how involved have you been, or can you be, or will you be in helping businesses create those policies? Well, uh, what we've done, we've been active on that. There is an organization, and I'm going to do a shout out to them. It's called uh, the uh, Employer Advisor in Nova Scotia. They are actually funded by. WCB. I sit on the board as a member of CFIB because, you know, we have a big membership and whatnot, and we're very interested in policy development. So the OEA has actually done um, courses on this, and they've had seminars, and we're going to continue to be doing what we do, which is reaching out to our members and saying, look, if you have questions about this, if you have questions about how this is going to impact uh, your employees, talk to us. We'll put you in touch with the people who you need to to be in in touch with. Yeah. The problem is, yeah. is that there hasn't been a lot of guidance from government on this yeah. so far yeah. because they're looking at it through <clears throat> the alcohol lens. They're saying any substance abuses. Well, it's not exactly the same. Yeah. You know, it's, it's different. Yeah, it is different. And I think that's the thing everybody's struggling with. We, we're yeah. looking to something we know and hoping that we can grab onto that as a, as a foundation for this new thing. Yeah. And maybe we can. I, I don't know. To some degree, maybe we can. I, I know there's a lot of gray area around even even legal issues around an employer, you know, asking an employee if they're using or 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 coming up with an idea around, I think I need to test you, like all that stuff is very very sticky. Uh, yeah, you know? yeah, it's huge. Yeah, and the, because the other thing is, it, most people aren't going to go into work with a you know a pint of rum and say, well, this is. Right, medicinal. This is my medicine. Yeah. (laughs) Although, did you know that during prohibition you could get prescriptions for alcohol? It's the same thing. (laughs) I know (laughs) it is. And sometimes, you know, a shot of scotch at the end of the day is medicine. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's it's not alcohol abuse. Yeah. No, but the the thing. So there are a lot of there are a lot of um, uh, ambiguities out there that we need to be cognizant of with our members. Yeah. We have to help them through this stuff. Yeah, I think everybody needs a little bit of handholding here. Sure. And and if I don't want to be too critical of. Uh, and, you know, our counselors, I know that there was a big furor over the smoking bylaw and people going, are you yeah, crazy? And, you know, they're freaking out about that. Yeah. I, I think everybody's just got to kind of have some patience yes. and say, look, we're all going through this together. Yes. Let's figure out a way to get through it. And I can tell you one thing that in listening to your podcast, I think you're really providing a highly useful um, uh, tool here for people. Yeah in having this discourse specifically on this topic because it's not it doesn't seem like it's getting a lot of long form airing where ideas are being exchanged i mean i that was the first time i had any when i listened to the guy from the nslc that i had yeah. any notion about like what they were doing yeah and or i think why you they were, were doing it when you were listening to him you were going really yeah wow, that's no, i was genuinely surprised yeah. i mean that's the point and the same thing you know the, the municipality i think can do a better job communicating what's yeah happening here, yeah. as can the province, as can the feds. Yeah. They've got to let people know what's going on because I th do think that there's an enormous amount of confusion yeah. and concern. You know, yes. parents are concerned about this stuff. I think there's some foolish stuff that's happening. You know, this idea about, you know, how big a fence are we going to put in the backyard because there's going to be roaming yeah. bands of teenagers out ripping off pot plants. It's like... <laughs> Yeah, look, I, I think you know. I think you're bang on. I mean, I, th there's a lot of confusion. The as I keep saying to everybody, the only thing you can do is talk about it more, learn more, ask questions, look for answers, and just educate yourself. I mean, I think the problem right now with the media in particular is that it's only telling you about the news, you know, and the news tends to be conflict. Here's the new bylaws. Uh oh, yeah. here's the new. You know, it's going to be the NSLC, no private sector. So it's all that kind of shit versus like. What do we need to know? What should we be talking about to help people navigate it? Because it is something that needs to be navigated, I think. It is. And if people are interested, if you have a small business, if you're concerned about it, uh, the OEA is an excellent resource. They have a website. It's the Office of the Employer Advisor. Yeah, that's uh, They're a great organization. They have, they have a high level of expertise, and it's free. Yeah. If you're paying WCB, you're you know they're there for you. Yeah. It's primarily for WCB stuff, but they are so well versed in that. Or if you're a CFIB member, call up your business counselor and say, look, yeah. You know, they, we might not have all the answers, but we should be able to point you in the right sure. direction. Yeah. And the other people that are good to talk to in Nova Scotia is that there's a group at the Office of Regulatory Affairs called Business Navigators. It's free. If you have a problem around some of this stuff or you have concerns about it, give them a call as well. There's There are many resources out there that are available for small business owners uh, to take advantage of. And um, I would just say, I would just say, use them, yeah. inform yourself so you don't find yourself in a position where sure. it could cause you some problems. One last question, George. Sure. What do you think, personally, what do you think about this whole thing? But just my opinion? On you, it? you, Jordy. Look, I, I think that there's probably a lot of good reasons that we've done this. Uh, I, I do have, I have some personal issues with it because I, I've seen what it can done, it can do to young people sure. through my, my kids. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think that it is a benign substance. Many people say, oh, it's, it'll cure everything. It's healthy. I don't agree with that. Sure. I think there's a lot of medical evidence that says that it can cause harm. 
that it can, and you know, people say it's not a gateway drug. Maybe not, but sometimes uh, young people with their into that sort of mode of doing that, that it does uh, put them in an environment where they may want to explore into other areas. Yeah. Uh, the evidence doesn't suggest that it's addictive, but I think for young people, there are a lot of issues around this. And I think there's a yeah. lot of medical expertise that, that says that. For adults, um, you know, whatever floats your boat, really. Yeah. A lot of my friends smoke pot and they enjoy it. And that's that's great. Some people are, the people are doing it for medicinal reasons. That's great as well. I've heard some, you know, very positive stuff around it from PTSD patients that, sure. you know, it's, and anxiety that uh, that's great. I just, personally, I just think we're going to be feeling our way through this. Yeah. And that um, people, you know, people make decisions on their own. I'm hopeful that no harm comes from it. You know, it's like saying hopeful no harm comes from drinking, but lots comes from that sure. too. Yeah. But I'm also a very strong advocate in personal responsibility and that, um, you know, you're responsible for what you put in yourself and, and what you do after you do that. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> I'm hope, I'm hopeful that this will turn out to be uh, a positive thing because I don't think that, you know, the, the punitive prohibitionary approach has worked. So, yeah. hey, let's try something else. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Very good, sir. Appreciate you coming by. Very enlightening. Well, it's, it's, been, it's been fun. <laughs> I don't get a chance to do this that often. You, you so. don't get a chance to be the guest. I, don't get a ch I never get the chance to be the guest. <laughs> well, so. I'm glad, you, uh, I'm glad you were able to do it today. Thanks. Thanks Thank, very much. Thanks, Sean. So that was Jordy Morgan, Vice President of, for Atlantic Canada, the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. And I definitely know a lot more about that organization than I did before we started and certainly have never had that much conversation around regulation. Um, pretty fascinating stuff, an in-depth view, if you will, of all the things that need to be considered. One of the things I found interesting about, about not just Jordy's role, but I guess the, the role of that organization is this idea that you can't really help small businesses in the space who aren't yet legal or if the business isn't yet legal. And it puts them in an interesting scenario, I find, where they have to figure out how to navigate how to navigate that. And of course, that once again is the message that we're hearing from Jordy uh, and everyone we seem to be talking to, which is that there's a lot of handholding that's going to happen throughout this process. And all we can do is just sort of band together and feel our way through it, ask questions and hope for the best. Um, you know, I did appreciate Jordy providing a lot of info on resources. So if you are a small business with a lot of questions, contact Jordy might be a good idea and listen back to some of those uh, resources that he outlined towards the end of that conversation. I know that can be very helpful for businesses who are thinking about what they should be doing or questions they might have. I think the most interesting point that I, that I uh, enjoyed during this conversation was this idea that Everything is regulated. I never quite thought about that. Everything, the size of your door frames, the size of cups, I think of beer mugs that you put beer in is all regulated. And um, when you start to think about that, it, it, it actually scares me a little. I'm not quite sure why, but it does. And in fact, I'll leave you with this. If everything is regulated, can you think of something that isn't? You're listening to Turning a New Leaf, produced by the Village Soundcast Network. And I'm your host, Sean King. Chat soon. This was a Village Soundcast Network original production. 